0: pints with jack season four episode 14 the screw tape letters
1: letter number eight love roller coaster welcome everyone
0: pints with jack is your weekly c.s lewis podcast where david andrew and i break down and discuss the works of c.s lewis This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to his nephew, a demon named Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our spiritual lives. But before, it is just David and I again this week. This is only our second time so far, and we're what episode 14, Mm -hmm. which is you and I. (laughs) <laughs> it feels good to be back. So, uh, what have you been up to, David?
1: Uh, well, I've actually been prepping for our next Pints for Jack watch party. Uh, listeners uh, who support us on Patreon, they were invited, uh, well, a couple of months ago, probably by the time this one airs. But we had uh, a watch party earlier where we watched through the wardrobe. Uh, and we've got another one lined up. So, the Fellowship for Performing Arts. So this is Max McLean and his troupe. They're the guys that do The Most Reluctant Convert. They have a staged version of Screwtape and of The Great Divorce. Well, it was just announced that they're going to do a live version of The Great Divorce and they're going to stream it. So all of our Patreon supporters, we're going to get together again. We're going to watch it together. And then we're going to jump on a video chat afterwards and chat about it for an hour or so.
0: I really hope... And I shouldn't say this because I you've already sent me when the date is, and I don't remember what it is, but I really hope it's a date I can make. Um, this last one, I listened to I was so bummed I wasn't able to do it because I was in Pennsylvania and was with my two nieces, my brother-in-law, my sister, my other sister-in-law, brothers, like the whole family was together, even my mom and my dad, um, which actually my parents split. So it was, a, it was a really beautiful time where the whole family was um, together, and I was going to try to jump on for like 15, 20 minutes, but... Uh, we were actually just out and I, uh, didn't want to just like do it from like a restaurant. So anyways, needless to say, I couldn't do it, but I am so
1: excited for this one. And we'll probably end up doing the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe sometime in December. Since it is a Christmas movie. And if you don't think it's a Christmas movie, you may debate me about this on Twitter. (laughs) Oh,
0: I'm looking forward to it. But we've also been doing in the beginning of these is talking about what we've been reading. So David, what have you been reading?
1: Well, in the last week or so, I just finished The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher. I had heard him give interviews before, so I knew the basic idea behind The Benedict Option. And here he's alluding to St. Benedict, the founder of The Benedictines. And Rod's idea is basically that during times of social upheaval, it's important that Christians maintain Christian communities for the nurturing of the faith and the the preservation of Christian values. Uh, So I just finished that, and that was superb. And I've nearly finished. It's called Orthodox Worship. It's by Williams and Anstall. And it's basically talking about the worship of the early church and the development of the liturgy into the form that you will see today in the Eastern Orthodox Church.
0: Well, unfortunately, I don't have a great reading update of anything different, mainly because the last two weekends, three week, two weekends, I've been gone in last week as well because I had that quarterly retreat again. Uh, And long-time listeners know I talk about that quite frequently. And long story short, it was another beautiful retreat. It was virtual this time due to COVID, and actually I got to go up with another participant to a cabin up north, and we had a lovely time watching the different talks. But what I loved was we were watching one presentation where actually it was a presentation on theosis. So, I've been stating to other participants, I'm the only Catholic out of 100 people there, and stating how I've just been amazed at how Catholic this retreat is without being Catholic. And I've also talked so much, as you guys know, about how it connects to this false self, true self. It seems to be, it's all about spiritual formation, Christ forming within you, which is pretty much the divine life entering in you. And finally, the very end, theosis comes up, and there's a quote from a person that we are having on the show, and David will probably know in relation to when you guys are listening to this, is it coming out here in the next couple of weeks from when they hear this?
1: Yes, it's very soon. I actually just finished editing it today.
0: Okay, so I'm reading a quote, and it's from, uh, is it His Excellency, Kales- how do you say this? I, I, I want to get it right. His Eminence. His Eminence, okay. His Eminence, Kalisos Ware. And David, give a brief, just like 10 seconds, who is he? He seems incredible.
1: He's an Englishman who converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, and he is a wonderful writer and speaker.
0: I love it. And so when, when you sent me that you got him on this podcast, I just love the fact that we we're having someone from the Eastern Orthodox faith on and someone who's written about Lewis, talked about uh, the, the, the the themes and the, the theology that we've been talking about on this podcast. And so to see him quoted in conjunction with theosis in this retreat, right after David sent me this, I think you sent me the image of him that he was coming on, his name, maybe a week before this. And so I was like, okay, this is just this is a God moment. I love this. And it was great, and so that was a long way of saying. Between that and I was on a hiking trip this past weekend, my reading is still The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, and I am only halfway through.
1: Well, you're gonna to have to speed up because the wife and I have just started it. So yes, <laughs> we're, we're on your heels. <laughs>
0: all right, all right, this is good. Let's. Uh, you know what we should do, David. Let's do a three-way, we'll all have a drink. You said Marie's starting to enjoy your (laughs) your Lagavulin scotch. I've got someone. Let's do a Zoom call, catch up. I haven't talked to Marie in a while, so. And we're going to talk about the meaning of marriage when we're all done.
1: Okay. Okay, deal. All right. (laughs) Well, let's get on. Uh, We've actually got quite a short letter today, but it's a really, really good one. In today's letter, Screwtape tells us about the law of undulation. That's what he calls it. And it's basically how our loves and our interests, they naturally rise and fall over time. And so in light of this, today's episode title and song of the week is Love Rollercoaster. You know, because rollercoasters go up and down, see? (laughs) Clever. Uh, So it's Love Rollercoaster by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And those of you who know your 90s trivia will know that this song was part of the soundtrack for the cinematic masterpiece that was Beavis and Butthead Do America.
0: Is it bad if I say I've never heard the song? I do know <laughs> the Red Hot Chili Peppers, And they have the song, is it Californication or something?
1: Aren't I right? I don't know. Yes, you don't know, David? I don't know. I think
0: there is some sort of Californication. There's a
1: song that they have where they definitely sing about California. Yeah. Californication is a TV series starring David Duchovny.
0: Pretty sure the one TV series on it is not a good one.
1: No, it looks pretty terrible. Yes.
0: But anyways, good song choice, David. (laughs) Well, let's jump into the quote of the week because, as David said, this is a short chapter, but this one is incredible. The Law of Undulation. I personally find this message very encouraging for the spiritual journey, and I can deeply relate to seasons of my life of this. And so if I can, usually there's others in the world that can too. And this quote of the week is going to be beautiful for this chapter. And uh, arguably one of the best lines in the entire book. We'll see if you agree, David. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why has he been forsaken, and still obeys.
1: Completely agree. I think this is one of the best lines in the entire book.
0: And it's 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 challenging. I won't I won't get into it now, but it is challenging because it's in those moments that it's sometimes really difficult to obey. And as we're going to learn about the spirits versus the flesh of ourselves, it's very challenging in those moments. Your spirits feeling weak, your flesh is your flesh is feeling weak. Yeah, it's in those moments that obedience is most important. But I'd also want to have a conversation a bit about the grace of when you do fall short in those moments too. And so there are opportunities and sometimes missed opportunities. So this is going to be an interesting chapter, but as always, let's not jump ahead. Let's talk quickly about the drink of the week. And David, the last time you and I recorded together, we drank your favorite drink. And so this time we're drinking my favorite drink, which I have not shared with you ever. Probably not until season one when we were in person and I would bring, I think once or twice, when count 12. So the last person I've shared this with Douglas Gresham, I think. <laughs>
1: So you're now moving from Douglas Gresham to me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> from what heights we have fallen. <laughs> I love it. So,
0: guys, first of all here, just know that McAllen 12 gets a rating of 91 in the book. So it's, it's very good. And from a color, it's amber. It's done in a sherry cask. So sure enough, the nose is going to have a sherry flavor. And it talks about the mm. body being full and smooth. So let's see if we can, we can tease some of that out, David.
1: Yeah, I'd definitely agree with that. The for the nose, I could only get sherry tones. Uh in terms of the taste, there is a there is a little bit of spiciness, a little bit of pepperiness kicked in there, just on the tip of your tongue. But yes, very full bodied. You can you can feel it all over your mouth, sort of gently warming.
0: Very full bodied. Smooth is incredibly accurate. What I love about this, and this isn't a word they use when describing it, but it's pure. I think a lot of other scotches have various flavors going on. They talk about cinnamon, vanilla. They've talked about grass on a sand dune and stuff. This is just (laughs) straight up pure. It's smooth, full body with a little sherry flavor. I love
1: it. And it's got a very long finish. It does. Oh. You know, I just just finished my sip about 10 seconds ago, and I can still just feel it gently warming at the back of my throat.
0: Mm. Anyways with that
1: let's do a toast
0: in this toast who is one of our gold level patreon supporters so this is not just a family shout out but this one goes to my sister caitlin which now i have a sister-in-law Catherine, so that requires distinction my sister caitlin who the second she found out about this started supporting us when we had patreon one of our earliest supporters We are so incredibly grateful, and I love you very much, Kate. And so this is a glass, as we talk about the law of undulation, where there's going to be ups and downs in life. She has two little ones, too, by the way, that are under the age of two. And so, yes, Mm. Irish twins, within 13 months. And so there's going to be times where you're tired, and there's going to be times where it's going to be tough. But as we're going to learn in this letter, those are the moments that God makes saints out of. And so I pray that in those moments, that that obedience towards him stays strong and Satan never wins. Cheers.
1: And when necessary, Uncle Matt will come help us. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Uncle Matty. (laughs) So, back to the letter. It's letter number eight, and it was first published in The Guardian on the 20th of June, 1941. And here is my 100-word summary. (laughs) Wormwood has announced that his patient's religious phase is coming to an end. Screwtape dismisses his nephew's assessment, attributing the recent cooling of religious fervor to the law of undulation. The senior demon explains that, due to the human's amphibian nature being composed of both spirit and flesh, his affections are in a constant state of undulation with peaks and troughs. Screwtape explains that this undulation is perfectly natural and used by God in human development. Wormwood must therefore know how to exploit the troughs, but which Screwtape will explain further in his next letter.
0: Well done, David, as usual. Thank you for that.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. So yeah, so Screwtape begins his letter in the usual manner by castigating his nephew. He writes, so you have great hopes that the patient's religious phase is dying away, have you? I always thought the training college had gone to pieces since they put old Slubgob at the head of it, and now I am sure. Has no one ever told you about the law of undulation? So we didn't know about this explicitly, but from this we can determine that Wormwood is wanting to take credit for a recent downturn or dullness in the patient's religious expression. And Screwtape, he's not buying this for a second. He wants to look for an alternative explanation. And Lewis writes about declining fervor of new converts in Letters to Malcolm. And one thing I'll just say as an aside, as we've been preparing each of these episodes, a book really to read in tandem with the Screwtape Letters is Letters to Malcolm. So many times he he addresses the same topic now head on, rather than using Screwtape's twisted logic. But in Letters to Malcolm, letter five, Lewis writes this. Many religious people lament that the first fervours of their conversion have died away. They think, sometimes rightly, but not, I believe always, that their sins account for this. They may even try by pitiful efforts of will to revive what now seems to have been the golden days. But were those fervors the operative word is those, ever intended to last?
0: Whoa. See, this is why, oh, this is a real-time... Reaction of me in this. I, I don't read through David's notes
1: ahead of time. I do my... S- he really doesn't. I can't emphasize the lack of preparation that Matt puts into this.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm dying laughing right now. I do make my own notes, you, sometimes in a separate Word document, which was the case this week. But um, this is what I was somewhat alluding to, but I did not realize that Lewis was actually directly attempting for this to be one of the lessons from this chapter, Potentially, or this letter, I have. Without going into much detail, I was at my greatest high was the first year or two into my joining of St. Bridges of Church Community in San Diego, and everything was just jiving well. I did I my spiritual life, spiritual practices, friendship groups. I mean, all of, all of it was wonderful. I was doing I did Exodus ninety pretty much faithfully for ninety days. Felt minimal stress, great sleep, spiritual. I mean, just everything was going phenomenal. It was the high, and it lasted for a couple mm-hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And then New York came and then just the changes of life, the scenes of life. And as I've already talked about, and I don't need to beat that like a dead horse, went through a bit of a trough period and feel like I'm on my way up, but I've been this exact same thing. I've been saying to myself, how do I get back to it? How do I revive it? What are the practices I need to do? This is literally saying what I've been attempting to do. And I do appreciate how he puts, Uh, The sins, I do feel like there are certain things in my life that have fallen away that might account for this. But then I, I like how Lewis also points out there are also things that don't. Meaning, as we're going to learn in this letter, there are some natural things that just bring this about that aren't to your doing and maybe actually to God's will. And maybe he didn't intend it to last. And that is a really hard thing to sometimes swallow because I just want to go back to that state because it felt incredible.
1: Well, if you think about it, Lewis has actually spoken about this a lot. You remember the section in Mere Christianity where Lewis spoke about interests and passions when they wane and people keep trying to recapture exactly how they felt at the beginning? And he says, no, let go of it and you'll discover whole new kinds of joys.
0: Wow, you're making me think of um, marriage even. Because don't they usually say the first two years... Not even marriage, but even the dating part would even be in this. But the first few years, you somewhat feel that honeymoon stage. But then there's a transition period where you're dying to necessarily the, maybe if I use the word, that emotional high. But then you're settling into a new, beautiful kind of love of devotion and service and dying to yourself. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now in my spiritual journey. And it is a painful Mm -hmm. transitional process. Sometime we should do an episode or a Skype session just talking about this, I almost want to research this better to grasp and understand other people's experiences of this and what we can learn to help get through this. Because just knowing that you go through it, it's a very good first step. But I also am just curious what you're supposed to do to get through it. What are, what are you supposed to take? What does the other side look like? I don't even know. Cause sometimes being in it kind of sucks because you are genuinely, I am holding on to an old desire. I'm holding on to two mm-hmm. years ago and I have not let that die, die yet. Yes. That's the right way. Um, so, man, this is just making me think.
1: Well, I would suggest that looking back is, is, is good to a degree because you're recalling a fervor. But I think the thing that we're meant to let go of is for things to feel exactly the same way that they did back then. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus is writing to some of these churches, speaking prophetically through uh, St. John, he says, remember your first love. He calls that community back to their first love. But I don't think that means that necessarily everything is going to be identical. Uh, You just raised the idea of dating and marriage. I can definitely say in my relationship with Marie, we have moved through very distinct stages and we don't go back. You know, I'm never going to quite recapture what it was like taking her out on the first date. But that's okay because what we're doing now is awesome and it's new and it's different and it's it's, it's a very different kind of expression of that same love. And yeah, I... I Lewis writes elsewhere that if the first feelings of love, if they continued at that same intensity, we would all just lose our minds. <laughs> you know, if if the sa- same feeling uh, from the very first days was to continue, so we'd get nothing done. And we'd be an emotional wreck at the end of it. I'm gonna be curious
0: to you you can speak to it more from a marriage perspective, but me not yet being through it in the spiritual side yet. I, I'll be blunt and honest. I like I like to to just I hear all this, but I think to myself I don't know what was wrong with that, that two-year period. It was pretty great. <laughs> and so I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is <laughs> I will be genuinely curious and open to what is it that – it's a different kind of beauty and joy and love. And to be honest, when you're in the mm. transition, I just don't yet taste it or see it. And so yeah. it, it's hard for me yet to almost believe what you're saying because I'm like, man, I just don't know what was <laughs> wrong with that. I, if, I feel like if I lived my 80-year life from that point on until death in that state, it would be wonderful.
1: Well, let's work through the rest of this letter, and I think we're together in the next letter where Screwtape talks about this a little bit more. So we'll see what comes out of that. Mm, I love it. So to get back to the letter, Wormwood was trying to take credit for a downturn in the patient's spiritual devotion, and Screwtape says, no, it wasn't you. He instead attributes it to what he calls the law of undulation. And he explains that this comes about due to the two parts of human nature. Screwtape writes, Humans are amphibians, half-spirit and half-animal. And the word amphibious, it normally refers to something suitable for both land and water. So frogs are amphibians because they can survive on both. And the military have vehicles that are amphibious because they can travel both on land and water. And here, Screwtape is using the word amphibious to describe human nature, that we are both flesh and spirit. And incidentally, as in my research, I found out this is the same word that was used by Sir Thomas Brown who was a writer that Lewis really liked. He used the same description when he was describing humanity, that we're this mixture of these two things, spirit and animal.
0: Does this make you think of um, Augustine? I don't know how familiar you are with Augustine, how much you've read, but when he talks about your orienting your desires to higher order versus lower order goods or eternal kind of temporal is somehow how I always interpreted that. The, f- the spirit versus the flesh one's more, eternal one's more temporal.
1: I think it's definitely related to that because Scrutate, He goes on and he explains what he means. He says, As spirits, these humans belong to the eternal world. But as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, i.e. God, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation, a repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks. So yes, so yeah, I think it's related to spirit and flesh. And Screwtap particularly notes that it's in relation to time. That the bodily part of ourselves means that we're going to have change. Uh, highs and lows, peaks and troughs. And one thing that's interesting in this letter is Screwtap actually cites God's intention to create these amphibious creatures, humanity. Uh, he says that this was one of the reasons why Satan rebelled. He writes the enemy's determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined our father to withdraw his support from him.
0: And is it the fact that there's not pure, almost like uh, Lucius Malfoy in Harry Potter, pure breads versus Muggleborns?
1: <laughs> uh, I haven't read any Harry Potter and I've only seen the first movie, uh, but that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, I, uh, quite how much you could ground this in scripture is kind of tricky. Um, but if you recall back when we began this season, we said that Lewis was writing Preface to Paradise Lost around the same time. And Paradise Lost was the epic poem of the fall by John Milton. And this idea of Satan's rebellion being connected to the creation of humanity is, is really expanded here. Anyway, returning to the, the law of undulation, Screwtape says that if Wormwood had been paying attention, he'd have noticed ups and downs in all areas of the patient's life. He writes, his interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites all go up and down. So Screwtape is saying that this is the reason he's had a downturn in his religious fervor. And Screwtape says this is all entirely natural, but it requires action to take advantage of it. In this
0: first part, what there, there are two
1: lessons that
0: really jumped out to me that I thought were really helpful for my own personal spiritual journey. And I was, you know, I was others, but the first one was the encouragement that just because we are in a down state doesn't necessarily mean it's our fault. Sometimes there are things that we have done and actions and decisions that make us feel down, but not always. And so knowing that allows you to have some grace and to recognize that this just might be a season. And second, What's important is what you do with it. So when you're reflecting on that, and if you've discerned the parts that you do need to change, so maybe some bad behaviors, if you just think like physically, if you aren't sleeping well, if you aren't eating well, you're not going to feel really good. But sometimes you can eat right and do everything right, but you still get sick. Look at that down period as a chance to ask yourself, what are you doing? What is God teaching you in that moment to help you come through that? So those lessons, when I was just reading that, just were really helpful to me.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Absolutely. And I think in particular, we'll get into more of that response in the next letter. Uh, In this letter, Screwtape asks the question, how do we take advantage of these ups and downs? And in typical Screwtapean style, he says, we've got to consider what God is using this undulation for, and then just do the complete opposite. (laughs) It
0: seems like a cheat sheet they have going there.
1: Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, we're doing exactly the same thing. We're listening to what Screwtape's saying, and then we're flipping it on its head, and it's like, okay, so if he wants us to do this, then what should we be doing instead? So this chapter essentially unscrews it for us much more directly than previous ones. Mm -hmm. Now, Screwtape says that God uses the undulation, as far as he's concerned, in a very strange way. He says, now it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else.
0: So what you're saying right now is God is trying to make me a saint.
1: Exactly. Uh, actually, once again, in Letters to Malcolm, Lewis writes, It is the saints, not common people, who experience the dark night. Mm-hmm. Here he's alluding to, uh, not the terrible Star Wars movies, but uh, St. <laughs> John of the Cross's The Dark Night of the Soul. So he says it's the saints, not the common people, who experience the dark night. The hiddenness of God perhaps presses most painfully on those who are, in another way, nearest him. And this echoes the writings of the saints throughout the history of the church. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, she's often cited as saying to God, usually after being thrown from her horse and landing in a puddle of mud, if this is how you treat your fens, it is no wonder you have so few. Mm. Are you feeling as encouraged as I am in this letter already? This is easily one of, I think, the most encouraging letters that Screwtape Mm -hmm. writes once you've unscrewed it, because it turns our experience on its head. It lets us know that just because things seem to suck, that actually might mean that something truly wonderful is happening. The trouble is, is we're just not very good at being able to see it. And it makes really important, I believe, the practice,
0: and ironically, as I mentioned, the retreat talks about theosis, spiritual formation, as I said in the beginning, examination of the conscience. I think at the end of the day, that practice, and it doesn't have to be an official examination, but essentially spending the day to see where God's will and the rhythms are working in your life and the good and the bad is a practice that can help you with this. Because you can look back on every day and you could, with the right perspective, see any event, any scenario that happened to you, any circumstance as a chance to grow but most often than not, we go through life on autopilot and we never create that space for that intentionality and that self-reflection and self-awareness to see those lessons. And I don't do it. I mean, even when I was supposed to do it for a full quarter, I think I did it two to three nights a week at best. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a practice when I did do it that
1: was just so incredible. I think even just asking the question at the end of the day, Lord, where were you? What was I meant to learn here? What was I meant to see here? How was I meant to change? I think even just the act of asking that question reorients you in relation to your life. Yes. It's no longer simply a series of events happening to you, some that you like, some that you don't. It's searching out the fingerprints of God in the day-to-day.
0: Well, I'm curious now, so, so we're, we're jumping into this part of God using the troughs. Why, why do you think God uses the troughs?
1: What is it about them? I don't, I, I don't have to tell you because Scruton tells <laughs> us. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> Screwtape says that to understand why God behaves the way he does, you have to understand the difference between the way God views humanity and the way Satan views humanity. Screwtape writes, To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. This is hell's goal for the human race. It's, It's consumption. And what he says is that what God wants, on the other hand, is completely different. Screwtape explains that God really loves humanity and really desires its freedom. And these words, they'll later get Screwtape into trouble. But he says this. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life, on its miniature scale, will be qualitatively like his own. Not because he has absorbed them. Remember, that's what the demons want to do. Not because he has absorbed them but because their wills freely conform to his. There it is. And what do we call that? Theosis. This is participation in the divine nature.
0: So the answer really comes down to it's freely choosing to align ourselves. And what I really like about what he writes here is, interestingly enough, both what Satan does and what the Heavenly Father does is somewhat of a devouring, except they're completely opposite devourings. The one wants to consume for their own food and to essentially absorb, and you, you vanish. You get sucked into it. The other, which we actually will see here a little bit if we talk briefly about theosis or deification, when you give yourself, he gives you a, a hundredfold back. He gives you your truth self, your authentic self. You, you receive a part of him, but you become more yourself, it's not that you fully are absorbed into him in the sense that you've lost all of who you are. It's that you actually gain who you are. And that's a really hard concept to actually wrap your brain around. I, re- I remember listening to Pints with Aquinas episode on deification and talking about how we become sons of God. We become God and almost become a part of God and even Matt Frad ends... This priest that was on, I can't remember his name, that was really unpacking an expert on this, had a hard time explaining what that's like. Like How do you do that without not becoming consumed by him? And I think they use an analogy of like a fire and putting a metal piece into a fire. And that was one way. So you take on the properties of fire and you become even greater. But yet you're not fire itself. I mean, it's a complicated con- concept
1: it's a very patristic image that the idea of putting iron into a fire and it becomes hot like the fire it's distinct from the fire but it is it is it is sharing something in the life of that fire so to speak but this is exactly what lewis told us in mere christianity that we'll be sharing in a life that was begotten not made and he says if we share this kind of life we shall also be called sons of god and we shall love the father as he does and the holy ghost will arise in us he even says every christian is to become a little christ the whole purpose of becoming a christian is simply nothing else
0: and this reminds me of second peter 1 4 through these he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world
1: caused by evil desires
0: does that part there participate in divine nature sound what you just read in mere christianity
1: yep it's exactly the same thing and i just want to read Another little section from Screwtape, because here he offers a series of parallelisms, comparing and contrasting the goals of hell and the goals of heaven. Screwtape writes, we want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which our father below has drawn all beings into himself the enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. And I have to channel my inner Andrew Lazar here. Doesn't that sound like the possessiveness of Orwell?
0: hmm One of Lewis's greatest works.
1: Orwell loved Psyche, but it was this consuming kind of love that was at Psyche's expense. That's Scrutapian.
0: It's devouring. What we've been talking about so far in this letter and the point, the importance of what we just discussed of how we have to freely submit, it's, it's freely giving over our will, is actually an incredibly helpful concept for understanding and answering the question like, why doesn't God heavy-handedly draw us into himself? And here is what Screwtape writes. The irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. He cannot ravish. He can only woo. Merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. And so that's helpful whenever we think about, you know, why doesn't God draw us closer? Why, why isn't he using his power? Why doesn't he say, and I think David, I asked you this probably two seasons ago, God knows exactly what David needs to hear, read, and do to get him to come to him. Why doesn't he do that to you? Well, the irresistible, indisputable, irrefutable drawing too would would negate that process of you freely submitting.
1: He cannot ravish. He can only woo. And remember the great divorce. Either we say to God, thy will be done, or he says it to us. We ultimately get whatever it is we really want, whether that's God or something less than God. And this actually reminded me of what Lewis says in God in the Dock when he speaks about this idea of our free will. He says, God has made it a rule for himself that he won't alter people's character by force. He can and will alter them, but only if the people will let him. In that way, he has really and truly limited his power. Sometimes we wonder why he has done so, or even wish he hadn't. But apparently he thinks it's worth doing. He would rather have a world of free beings with all its risks, than a world of people who did write like machines because they couldn't do anything else. The more we succeed in imagining what a world of perfect automatic beings would be like, the more, I think, we shall see his wisdom.
0: Man, I need to read God in the Dark.
1: That's good. (laughs) That one was from The Trouble with X, because it's a series of papers and talks. Now, one thing that is interesting is that Screwtape says that God will sometimes be a little bit more obvious in the early stages of a spiritual journey. But he points out that it never lasts. And this was certainly true in my own experience with my real coming to faith in my early 20s. God's presence was very tangible in the early days. But Screwtape is right. Sooner or later, God withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience. He's saying that at least it'll feel like that way and he leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. I I remember in those early days, prayer was just beautiful and wonderful, and I would run to it. But after a little while, it became a little stale, and I actually went through a a nine-month period that I call my desert period, which was, prayer was just horrible. I can only really describe it as somebody throwing on a wet towel over my head Whenever I would try and pray, it just, I just, I felt weighed down and tired and just didn't want to do it. And I was fortunate that I was surrounded by a really good community at this point in my life and experienced Christians who knew about the law of undulation, even if they didn't call it that. And they would just spur me on to carry on carrying on and reminded me that this will not last forever. Because that's the thing, whenever you're struggling, it always feels like this is going to continue forever. Just think about when you're out running or you're at the gym and you're in the final few reps of a workout, it, you just, it feels like this is never, ever going to stop, that you're going to be in pain forever, that your lungs are about to burst. But you know what happens every time? It does eventually come to an end.
0: I think the reason it's difficult in the moment, speaking from experience, is goes back to the feeling versus action. So think of heavenly and hellish creatures. So how much it talks about the small things build over time into a big result, essentially. So in the moment you should be, and it's tough but you should be keeping up the actions. And so your actions shouldn't be turning you into hellish creatures, they should be turning you into heavenly. But your feelings are the opposite. You don't feel good, you feel desolate. And so I will say in the moment, you feel like it's compounding actually. And so what my brain does is thinks forward and goes, if you're in a downward undulation, you think it's going to continue at a perfectly linear trajectory downward, even if your actions are staying constant not realizing it will troth and turn back and it's going to be like a parabola. And it's really tough until that turn because you do think of the heavenly hell as creatures concept. And wow, this is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and I'm not going to be able to handle it. And then the actions are going to get worse and it's just, it's, I'm done.
1: But this is where having experienced Christians around you can really help. And this is also where it helps to remember and look back on your journey thus far. Because for most people, it has not simply been a straight line up to the heavens. You've noticed undulation, even in your past, no matter how great it was, that there were some days that things felt better, some days it was a little bit more work, uh, so that we can look back and realize, oh no, I have gone through this before in one, one way or another. Returning to the sports analogy, when you're at the end of that workout and it feels like your lungs are about to burst, remembering that you felt like this before, uh, when you were much slower and nowhere near as fit, And it still came to an end and you got better as a result. Remembering that you've had ups and downs before and survived and remembering that that can happen again now. Mm. But distinguishing between how I feel and what I actually know. Remember when we were reading Mere Christianity and Lewis talks about faith and he he talks about faith is hanging on to to what you know to be true. when your emotions are having a blitz at you.
0: Way to steal what I was going to talk about, David. That was going to be my thunder for the episode. That was going to be my <laughs> do, hold on into the darkness, what you wants you to true to be in the light. Come on, David. Sorry. That's what you should have said. If you would have written it down in the notes ahead of time, I would have seen you wanted to say it.
1: I did think of saying that, but I thought, no, I'm going to be nice. It comes from being so humble.
0: You're like the grandfather in the back of my head already. You don't need to say anything anymore. I know exactly what you're thinking. We are well <laughs> past statements needed to be spoken.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's, let's finish the end of this letter, and then you can offer us all of your closing thought wisdom.
0: Beautiful. That's what we do.
1: So, Screwtape has compared hell's vision of humanity with God's vision of humanity, their goals for humanity. And that God uses the troughs because this is, this is where the real formation takes place. Screwtape writes, It is during such trough periods that the human is growing into the sort of creature he, God, wants it to be. Since the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those that, which please him most. That line there, The prayers offered in a state of dryness are those that please mm. him best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased, even with their stumbles.
0: You know, that was a close second for best, best quote of the book behind the one we did, because you have the beautiful statement that prayers often in a state of dryness are those which please him best, which that's words of encouragement. But then he also, and this is this beautiful Lewis, he's holding a high standard with that statement because it's not easy offering prayers in the state of dryness. But then, in a also classic Lewis fashion, he brings the mercy and the grace, and he says, "If only the will to walk is really there, he's pleased even with their stumbles, because I will tell you from personal experience in the states of dryness, my prayer life is not near is not as good as it was in the other state, but I can say I'm desiring to get back to it. I'm constantly trying to pick myself back. I want to get back to it, and I'm doing it and in many ways." The the trajectory is there and getting closer. And whenever people ask me, I'm like, I feel like I'm 60% back right now. Um, And so the desire is there and the trajectory. But that's so beautiful to know that even though I'm stumbling relative to, I think, what I could be doing in a perfect state, it's pleasing him that I'm desiring and trying to do everything I can to get back there.
1: And my friend David Jack, I can hear him in my head right now, and he's saying that this is such a great line because he stole it from George MacDonald. (laughs) (laughs) And we actually even read it when we went through Mere Christianity, and there Lewis says who he's stealing it from. He says, as a great Christian writer, George MacDonald, pointed out, every father is pleased at a baby's first attempt to walk. No father would be satisfied with anything less than a firm, free, manly walk in a Mm grown-up son. In the same way, he said, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy.
0: I mean, I'd be doing an injustice to add any commentary to that.
1: Well, I mean, this is really the climax of the letter, because this is where Screwtape gives what was our quote of the week, that our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he's been forsaken And still obeys. And those of you who have read A Grief Observed, this is what Lewis is doing in that book. He's looking around a universe where God seems to have disappeared. His wife has died. Everything seems dark. He's asking, Where is God? And he describes it as a door slamming in his face and being double bolted. Mm. But he still obeys.
0: This is literally my favorite writing of all of Lewis so far, this chapter. I'm, I'm going to say it up until this point of what I have read. I will probably say this again in the future, but <laughs> over f- 40 or 50 mere Christianity chapters, 30 great divorce chapters. Um, f- I think it's less than that. Probably though. 40 um, Orwell chapters and now eight letters. I am just walking away from this so
1: unbelievably encouraged. Well, It might get better next week because Screwtape ends this letter by assuring Onewood that hell as well as heaven can make use of these trough periods. God has his game plan, we have ours, he says. And he says he's going to explain how to do that in the next letter. And so we'll be untwisting what he's saying there and perhaps learning... Uh, how to better counteract what Screw Tape has in mind,
0: and I'm glad we're going to be because one thing I'll say is leaving this chapter, it gives me so much hope and so much excitement. But I also know being in it, it's not quite this easy. I mean, I, I, I it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's seriously, I'm going through this. I'm like, I love this. This is wonderful. I'm so glad I need to remember this. But I also, in the moment, it's like, yeah, you're not feeling it, but obey. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you're not feeling, it's really tough to obey. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't always look the same. I wish it was that easy. Um, and it'll be it'll be great to get to the next
1: chapter. Well, let's wrap up this chapter then by unscrewing screw tape with a few do's and don'ts. I don't have much here, but I think they're really important. What have you got?
0: The first one is gonna be so, so simple. And I you don't see mine, but I see your notes, so I'm gonna actually take your don't, unfortunately, but I and I use a little different word, but don't despair. When you are in that trough, or if you're in the way down, like you're not even at the bottom yet in your trajectory, you you notice if you look back over the weeks of getting worse, know that it will not continue on a linear trajectory into eternity <laughs> because that's a really scary spot to be in. And honestly, that was a bit of a spot I was in with that confession. And I just love the way the priest said, don't despair. And so for anyone who needs to hear that word right now, literally don't
1: despair, keep hope. Yeah, my version of that was don't give up. <laughs> And I very, very nearly went with the, I think it's a Japanese proverb. It's something like, fall down six times, get up seven. Mm. And your comment there about continuing into eternity, there is a heavenly hellish creature's idea that's wrapped up in that. But I think here's the important difference. What continues into eternity is the man being formed inside, not the circumstances you are currently going through. Mm. The circumstances you're currently going through, they're going to change. The man that you are forming and with the help of the Holy Spirit inside you, that's the thing that's going to continue. So even if life is sucking and you're leaning into God and trusting him, that is what's going to continue into eternity.
0: And I also hope, this is what we'll talk about more this next week, I hope the net (laughs) is a positive because I can go through these periods. I can know a few habits that have been bad. And I can also know there's some really good ones. And so there are some bad things that have formed into me and there are some wonderfully beautiful things. I hope the net effect is a positive.
1: (laughs) It certainly will be at least in the light of eternity. (laughs) Good. So I had two do's. Do remember that everything changes. I would go so far as to say everything in life is transitory and will change. If you put all of your hope in the fact that those things will remain the same, you are going to be disappointed. So I remember everything changes. And then my second do, do build community to support you through those trough periods. Mm. It's definitely the, true in my own spiritual life. When I've gone through some of my darkest times, things have been okay because I've had a community around me encouraging me, cheering me on and supporting me.
0: I want to second that big time. If again, long time listeners will notice from the beginning of the season, when it got tough with COVID, what did I do? I and never be... Too prideful to admit that you just can't do this on your own. I left Michigan, worked remotely since we could, and went to Georgia because I was like, this is, I just can't do this. I need to be with my best friend from college and I just need to be in that environment because the troth is getting too much to bear on my own. And then as david says what i just did was change the circumstances so the man in me didn't get too bad and then when i could come back when circumstances were slightly improved it was a lot easier because obviously i just realized i can't handle this it's just that simple and sometimes god's grace isn't that he says all right i'm going to just give you all the strength so you can get through it he goes, i'm going to give you the wisdom to know you need to just get to a different place um, i'll also say do pray this serenity prayer I think as I as I hear of what you just said, David, it just popped in my head. But when you talk about the circumstances in a person, and when we talked about earlier the fact that there are certain things that you can change, and you recognize that that might be why you're feeling down, there's certain things that are just part of the natural undulation. Pray and ask God for the grace to know what you can change and what you can, because sometimes when you are in the undulation and the troth, in my own experience, some of it is your own self-inducing. Behaviors, things you are doing in your life get you down. And so if you are not exercising, you're not eating right, and you aren't doing healthy outlets that bring you joy, you know what? You're going to physically be feeling down. And guess what? Your physical is going to turn into your spiritual. So reflect on that and figure out okay, you can change that. But then there's going to be other things that are completely out of your control and you can't. So offer those up to God and surrender those. And so if you pray, if you do pray that serenity prayer to help you discern between those two, I think that's going to be incredibly powerful in the tross.
1: I'm going to suggest we do something a little different today. Let's end with that serenity prayer and then we'll do the sign off. Love it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. That's so good. And listeners, please join us next time when we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers.